and welcome to Inspiration Practice, a dialogue exploring how artists and writers connect to inspiration and maintain a creative practice through ritual, hosted by me, Derek Dankla, poet, professor of creative writing, and fellow seeker of inspiration practices. I'm here today with friend and colleague Hiram Sims, who at the infamous, now famous, Sims Library of Poetry, and Hiram was born and raised in various parts of LA, and he's a poet. He's an essayist and a creative writing professor, teaching with his the Community Literature Initiative, which he created, and he's a graduate of USC and received his BA in creative writing and a master's in professional writing and poetry. In addition to teaching essay writing, creative writing, and literature, he's published three collections of poetry, including Poems of a Young Troubled Mind, Write or Die, an anthology of poetry from the Urban Poets Workshop, and Photoetry, Poetry and Photography from South Central. Um, and his creative writing textbook, These Pages Speak, which I happen to use in my course. Um, he is co-founder of World Stage Press and the Sims Poetry Library, um, uh, boasting the largest collection of poetry in Los Angeles. All right. Um, so today we're going to talk about how he finds the energy to do all these things, why on earth he's chosen this profession, and that we've both chosen to some extent, and, uh, and uh, how that's working out for him. So the first question I always ask people is the one that I'm most fascinated with is, um, and I don't know why this is, maybe because I'm nosy or it's the, it's the era of reality TV. It's like, how do you start your day and where do you fit your art into the day? Good question. So, uh, first of all, I just want to say it's an honor to be on your podcast, especially an honor to be talking about inspiration and practice, which I think go hand in hand, but but also can be talked about separately. Right. Um, so but to answer your question, I'd like to start by just talking about the journey to where I've got this regiment that I have, right? So uh, there was a time when I was writing very sporadically, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, some people talk about, oh, just writing when the muse inspires you. And, you know, and I was very unhappy with that because I was chronically inspired, you know, like I'll be listening to a, you know, a radio story, you know, like, oh, I want to write a radio story. And then I read a children's book. Oh, I want to write a children's book. I read a book of poetry. Oh, I need to write another book of poetry. Like, oh, this is a dope textbook. I want to write a textbook. You know, like <laughs> wherever I see somebody do something well, then I, I want to do that. <laughs> and then, you know, at this point in my life, I know that if it's made out of words, I can make it <laughs> or figure out how it's made. And so my it was it was a long period of like frustration <laughs> but uh, then i started to study the biography of writers and so i found out that a lot of the writers that i loved they had this practice of writing every day mm-hmm. and reading every day mm-hmm. and so um ernest gaines tony morrison um Langston Hughes, you know, all of them just carved out a portion of their day to dedicate to reading and writing. So then that became a part of my life and then a part of my teaching philosophy, just asking students to 
uh, rather than waiting for these like emotional moments where you're full of inspiration, you know, how can you actually control mm-hmm. this this muse, right? Or rather control the ways in which you are inspired. So I started paying attention to what inspired me. Mm-hmm. So I know that every single time I go to an open mic, I want to write a poem after that, mm-hmm. right? So then I would make sure I have writing time after I left the open mic, mm-hmm. right? So that writing time might be in my car, mm-hmm. you know, like, but I know like when I leave this place, I'm going to be filled up, right? And then, you know, like, how can I create just this this space, but also, you know, how can I, how can I make myself want to write? Mm-hmm. And so um, I used to write primarily at night, like after the day is over. And so I said, okay, if I'm gonna read every day and write every day, uh, I'm gonna do it at night because that's when everybody goes to sleep. And we have a lot of like, for lack of a better term, uh, to me, like we have a lot of ideas that may not work for us personally. Mm -hmm. So here's the idea that I kept hearing. Oh, right. Artists write at night. Artists create at night. The artist's brain wakes up at night Mm -hmm. and everything. Right. And I'm just like, I believe that. But then when I try to do it every day, Mm -hmm. I'll find myself falling asleep. (laughs) Like every night I read two pages, fall asleep. The next morning I'm like, damn, I was supposed to write. Then like that happened again and again and again. So I was like, I know that maybe if I put it in the morning Mm -hmm. before I start anything, then I'll make sure that it gets done. Right. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I know for sure I'm going to brush my teeth that I'm going to put some deodorant on, right? Before anything starts, I'm going to pray. Mm-hmm. So what I started doing is I moved my writing time to the morning. Mm-hmm. And then the first day I succeeded, I wrote for an hour. The second day, the third day, and now it's been two and a half years. And every morning from, it used to be 6.30 to seven, now it's like seven to eight every morning. I'm writing during that time. And after a couple, I don't know if it took weeks or months, but now my body is ready Mm. to write at 7 a.m. And if I miss it, my body's like, what the hell? (laughs) (laughs) One o'clock, 2 p.m., I'm like, my body's like, something's wrong. Yeah, You know, like, because you did not do what you were supposed to do this morning, right? So, so that when like, when you don't brush your teeth, you feel that fuzz. Exactly. Or like, or later on in the day, like, you know, you musty. <laughs> like, you forgot your deodorant. Like, you just, maybe you lift your arm up and you get a whiff. You're like, oh, man, I stink. So, uh, to me, it's it's become that important and a yeah. part of my day and a part of my identity. Mm-hmm. And I leave the house knowing that I've achieved something, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and I, that feeling that you get after you write a page or after you finish a poem Mm -hmm. or a story, like I did something Mm -hmm. that was a part of what I feel like I'm supposed to be doing. Cause I find that writers are sometimes the, it's one of the only professions where people feel like they can get away 
with saying they do it without doing it. Mm. You know, like a plumber. Because it's invisible. Right. right yeah. And like, if you say you're a plumber, we're expecting you to be fixing a toilet today. Yeah. <laughs> right. But only, I won't say only writers, but writers sometimes, they'll be like, yeah, I'm a poet, but I haven't written for eight months. Like, what? <laughs> so I just feel like it's important to if, if if you if you Ray was it Rod Serling said that there are so many people claiming the honored sobriquet of writer mm. and you have to live up to that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I feel like you live up to being a writer by writing. So mm-hmm. as, as the contrarian me though, I will say that um, people really wary when they have these dry spells, right? And a lot of people really like a very my one of my, the first guests I had on the podcast was Stuart Pichel, poet who's a professor at University of uh, North Carolina's uh, one of their campuses in Greensboro, and he said he could barely write during the pandemic, like something about the lack of sociability that he required. And but I do think these dry periods. I know what you mean exactly about the the pretense versus the practice, but the there is something to sort of give yourself permission to rest too. You know, like not every you know like everybody knows the first album of the band or the first book of the poet is going to be pretty solid. The second one's going to be even better, and then there's like ten years before the third one comes out. Right? We all know that story from music, but in poetry, it would seem like that person had either died or become a nun or you know so but i do think it's important for us to realize that part of our practice is refueling right and so i think that's why i talk about inspiration and practice yes 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 and like uh, so how does that figure for you like how do you do you give yourself a break when when it doesn't work out like when there's somebody's got to go to the doctor and that period gets invaded you know, uh, there, there have been days and times when, like, I just have to do something else, like, during that morning, right? And then what I do is I just try to, you know, push it to later on in the day. But I'm, I'm actually very much aware of two things. One, that writers write in all genres. So if I, if I don't want to write a poem that day, I'll write a letter. You know, if I don't want to write a letter, maybe I'll write a couple sentences of a short story or edit a short story that I wrote. Mm -hmm. So to me, the rest or the period of rest is, uh, whereas some people might like go on vacation, I'm writing in another genre. Like that's my rest (laughs) for one. And then I'll tell you this, like I just, I think it's so important for people to take some time to study themselves, mm-hmm. their own patterns, their own behaviors. And I find that if I'm having a hard time writing, I'm not having a hard time speaking. Mm. So I'll turn on the Google Docs and push the voice type button mm. and just start talking. Right on. And then five minutes later, there's a page. Not even five minutes. People talk a lot faster than they write. Yes, which is a confounding problem for a lot of poets sound writers yeah so i think if if you turn that on and just start talking about the day that you had yesterday you know like there is a there's a journal element Mm -hmm. to our writing and also a journalistic element i consider writing to be the journalism of an individual human life Mm -hmm. and in that in that vein 
we could always be as writers making a record of mm-hmm. what's happening around us and and uh, and what we're and what we're working on, you know. So, so that's really. I don't write poetry every day. Some some days it's letters. Some some days it's an essay. Sometimes a short story. Sometimes it's nonsense. You know, like but. I'm exercising the muscle mm-hmm. every day. And I've tried to like marathon things. Like, oh God, I gotta finish a book. My wife allowed me, <laughs> I say that word allowed because married men, we gotta get permission slips signed. Mm-hmm. But she let me go to a hotel to finish a book for like three days. <laughs> she must trust you. That sounds sus. <laughs> and I hated it. Like, I really did like writing nine hours a day. I didn't like it at all. Yeah. No, you know, and that was it was funny because it was kind of like a fantasy, like for me, I'm going to go into a mountain and then write and then look at trees and birds and then every and then the whole book will come out in three days. Right. But to me, I find more. I find more power in uh, the, you know, the the doing the portion every day, right? The little bit Mm -hmm. every day. And now because I'm doing that, like I'm pushing out like 365 pages a year, Mm -hmm. which might be three, three books of poetry or, you know, like one novel or a bunch of children's books. Right. So, so I just find that, my interest is ping-ponging. You know, like, uh, on a daily basis, sometimes hourly basis, right? My interest is jumping from thing to thing. So I'm just expressing the interest of the day, of the week, of the month, in what I'm writing. So interesting. And I I like uh, what you said. I've been wrestling with this a lot. Is that I had a professor, um, Lori Sheck, at the New School who said, you know, writing is an embodied practice. Mm. And I hadn't thought about that. And you just said, you know, your body really feels it when you don't write. And I think uh, Krista Tippett in On Being had said something earlier um, in a podcast I listened to a couple of weeks ago where she said there's this false duality between the mind and the body. And and they're both nourishing each other constantly, but we make these like bright lines between the two of them. But I like I like what you said that, you know, we, it's clear that a painter is doing something with their body or a sculptor or a dancer or even a musician. But with writers, we forget that like our body's keeping that score too. So mm-hmm. I think that's kind of fascinating to, to rem- remember that. Like if I don't meditate, my writing sucks, mm. you know? So that's kind of mental floss. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. And similarly, if I don't do a little bit of yoga or a, little, or a walk, I can't sit in the seat. So it's like, you know, there's so these are very subtle ways in which the brain and the body are, are having this conversation, but we, our society is like, makes us kind of pig headed about it. You know, mm. we have to kind of discover it, you know, mm. nobody like says these things to us, or maybe they, maybe, maybe this podcast and Krista Tippett's and my professors and you were forming a new kind of knowledge about what this practice is, but I hope, I hope. <laughs> Yeah, I dig that, you know, um, and I, I I used to tell my students at the L.A. Film School that writing is a biological process mm-hmm. and that I think that you have to take something in 
in order for something to come out. Yes. And in your body, you take in oxygen, you know, you exhale carbon dioxide, you know, like you, if you eat a bowl of chili, it might take three days, but something's coming out, right? And if Tell you- how hot it is. <laughs> right? <laughs> so if, you're, if you take in sentences every day, sentences will want to come out mm. you know uh, if you take in a question a response will want to come out right so so i don't believe in writer's block i believe in reader's block you know like we're we're refusing to take things in mm-hmm. and that's why nothing wants to come out mm. so that's that's it so, so not only is writing important but but the reading too yeah yeah, I am. Um, I came to that observation late because I think there's also this ar- artistic fantasy that, like, you know, it's just gonna like they, your imagination and your inspiration. You're just gonna pump it all out. You don't need anybody else. You're like an island of creativity, and then it just goes dry so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really appreciate what you said about that. I I wanted to make a joke earlier that, um, or ask a question really is that when you go to a poetry reading, do you need like a designated driver so you can do the writing? <laughs> no, you know, like I feel like no one likes to go to poetry readings with me. My wife, especially, although she likes going, she don't like going with me because I'm gonna hang out. Like I want to talk to the poets, I want to meet people, and then I want to go in my car and write. You know, like or write down ideas, and it's just we. It's so weird how it happens because. I'm listening to a poem and then an idea comes and it's not about this poem that I'm yeah, hearing. Yeah, so, yeah. So I'm like, what is happening? But some idea comes and it's so crystal clear. But I love what one of my mentors, her name is V. Kali, and she told me this story. She said one day she was in the shower and she's like, you know, like taking a shower all soapy and then a line of poetry comes and then she turns the shower off and she gets out and she writes the line of poetry and any other lines that come and then she got back in the shower and she finished it. And I like that story because it emphasizes that when it's that important, mm. you know, like it is if the lightning strikes right then, you know, like take some time Mm. and get it down Mm -hmm. because when you have this time right it may not be there yeah the inspiration definitely might not be there Mm. but neither will the idea anymore to me inspiration is like uh you know to reference avatar (laughs) it's like a wisp right it's just like they're like little things and they land on your head for a minute and if they see that you're not going to do nothing with it they'll just go to another head mm-hmm. you know then you'll you'll hear somebody doing uh or expressing an idea that you had three years ago and you're like i, I, I thought about that mm-hmm. but you know the wisp just went to somebody who's going to do something with it so. yeah yeah i read recently and i don't I, I hate it when this happens to me but i often don't remember who the writer is because i'm passing through a lot of texts but I, I heard this thing, uh, I read this thing that I really liked. It said a poem is an answer to a prayer, <sighs> right? And it's so if you don't, if you don't take the answer when it comes, there's a good chance we've all had that experience of it. 
coming out this weird garbled nonsense when you don't take that moment when the answer comes, you know, mm-hmm. like in the shower or mm-hmm. after the poetry reading, and you try to reconstruct that moment, and we've yes. all done it, and it just feels like a, a car with three wheels or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, like it, 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 it will definitely not be there the way it was mm-hmm. you know like when it came at first and so that's why in that moment I try to get down as much as I can mm-hmm. and maybe during my writing time I might be polishing it up or trying to expand you know like on the idea but but I want I want to have what I had in, in that moment have you ever had those moments where you like you you catch that that wisp and you follow it you lose track of time you miss an appointment you something you know like you you're following that thing so intensely that you you lose track of who you are where you are you've ever had those moments yeah absolutely and if you do that i feel like any any inspirational person or rather someone who responds to inspiration that way needs to learn how to apologize because <laughs> you're going to be doing a lot of that mm-hmm. you know but but we know how important it is when you're in that zone yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 happened to me too much, and I, I I'm not sure my apologies are worth much anymore. <laughs> um, so, um, but I do like the idea of making the time because then there's there's kind of a little angry child that will take the time mm-hmm. sometimes, and so it's nice to to give that 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 kid the candy he's looking for so that later he doesn't kind of steal it. You know? Absolutely, and to me, this is something I also as I began to study my own thoughts, Mm -hmm. I found that a lot of my thoughts will fight with one another Mm -hmm. because my identities are fighting with one another. The part of me that wants to be a good father is fighting with the part of me who wants to be an artist. Mm -hmm. The part of me that wants to be a good employee, be a good teacher is fighting with a part of me, you know, like that wants to be healthy and exercise. Right. So, you know, there's there's just like these conflicts. And to me, Mm -hmm. they're all my children. And I'm just like, calm down. Don't fight. (laughs) Like all of you are important. I love you all. So and I'm going to make time for all of you. Right. So to stop fighting with right. each other. And so as as that voice began to be more calm, mm-hmm. then I can I can make time for each of them. Right. And right, right. and I, not only do I write in the morning, but I pray to I meditate to then I write and then I work out, mm-hmm. you know, and then I get ready for the day to start where I can I can go to work. Mm. Yeah. This is good. This is, um, it, you know, it's, I've asked this question many times and, and so many people um, have, you know, they practice changes over time and their their practices is regular and, um, you know, it's, it's hard for them to articulate it. So it's, it's nice to hear that you have such, it developed such a concrete one and it's been so good for you. Um, so switching gears a little bit, like I'll go to the what uh, questions mm-hmm. like, um, could you identify what the driving force or motive behind what you're currently making is, or is, is that hard to pin down? You know, uh, I'm currently making, what a question. I'm making a lot of things at the same time. Mm-hmm. There's... Choose maybe one? Or maybe they sure. all have the same motive force, I don't know. If, like Sylvia Plath, in her book, The Bell Jar, talks about the fig tree, right? And wanting to, and having all of these 
seeing before her all of these bright figs and one of them was a professor and one of them was a teacher and one of them was mm-hmm. a traveler and one of them was a wife and like you know she she didn't choose any of them because she couldn't decide and then they all turned black and dropped at her feet right so and i vibe with that so much yeah. right but my choice was to just to take them all like I'm just gonna take all, and I'm just gonna be, and I'm gonna just deal with the struggle mm-hmm. of having all these different things to do mm-hmm. and pursue. And a face full of fig juice. Right, right. That's maybe why I'm a little fat <laughs> from just drinking didn't, all the figs. Didn't mean it like that. <laughs> so, um, but right now, one thing that I'm in my writing time that I'm working on is a book called "Read Every Day, Write Every Day," and it's about. The book is a collection of stories Mm -hmm. from the lives of writers, like these moments that to me reiterate the identity Mm -hmm. that we are writers and that we're a part of a a tribe and a lineage of people Mm -hmm. who have also had the same desire, right? Mm -hmm. To express what they want to say, to publish, you know, uh, to be widely read mm-hmm. you know like um we're not the only people who have wanted this and so a lot of them in a sense are given a blueprint mm-hmm. but i find that when you have identity and when you have story when you have mm-hmm. narrative you know we all have these stories from the the group of people we identify with whether they be like our uh you know, whether they be our our religion, like mm-hmm. their stories, right? Mm-hmm. Our family, their stories. And I feel like for writers, we have stories too. And if we learn the stories, tell the stories, mm-hmm. they inspire us, you know, to keep going. So that's what I've been working on. And uh, I'm driven by the way the stories inspire me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and in my hope that they will inspire other writers you know to 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 stop seeing this love of theirs as trivial mm-hmm. and to stop moving it to the back burner mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. everything else i feel that you know and so this is what i this is what i really loved about the the practice of writing in the morning for me is like I'm putting this before mm-hmm. all of these other things that seem important but don't always appear to be important. <laughs> Psalm 6, which I think resonates in um, how you were discussing uh, one of your latest projects um, uh, that you've been working on. All right. New Psalm 6. O Lord, creator of all things valuable, making me a poet, a craftsman of pen and paper, an orator of thoughts written then spoken, your connoisseur of love and pain captured on eight and a half by 11 template, yielding the great contrast of my time. 
black and white. Let me make gray with my fingers and leave my signature on words that were yours all along. Others you have granted this wish, David, Solomon, Maya, Sylvia, Langston, Gwendolyn, Pablo. I come to you now just as unworthy as those who came before me, but with the same willingness to forsake prosperity for one or two poems that someone will remember. O oh Lord, creator of all things unforgettable, make me a poet. All right. This is a good second time as the first. So. <laughs> um, let's see if we can backtrack our way into some of your good, rich dialogue, and we'll do it quicker this time. Um, you're quick on your feet, as I, I've come to understand. So let's circle back to that question that um, what is the driving force behind what you're currently making? So I'm cu currently working on a book called Read Every Day, Write Every Day, mm -hmm. um, a collection of inspirational stories from inspirational writers. And the goal of that book is to share these moments in the lives of famous writers that inspire us and ultimately form identity within us. I think there's a lot of people who write, but many more who have not identified as writers. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, when we read the stories or hear the stories uh, about our literary ancestors or predecessors, then it, it gives us some energy, you know, to to move closer to what I believe is the destiny of a lot of writers, you know, which is to share their work and just become heroes themselves mm. to writers. So that's so that's what uh, that's what moves me with this particular project. The notion that that people will be inspired to to do their own work. Mm. Yeah. And so much of your work in, in workshopping and doing the New World Stage Press is to try to empower people to see themselves as writers through printing the book or bringing them through the process of printing a book that kind of legitimates their existence as a writer. And I think that's a really, that's a really strong part of your practice. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. And a lot of my career is centered around helping other writers to publish books. And uh, and part of that, as you say, is about them legitimizing their work mm -hmm. in their own eyes and in the eyes of others. Because what happened for me is when my book came out, you know, and perhaps even before that, like when you have like individual poems and you're like, mm -hmm. read this poem on, on one piece of paper, you know, some people read it and some will be like, leave me alone. Mm -hmm. Right. But if you say, oh, I have this book of poems that upgrades you a little bit. Right. You know, and uh, but it also lights a fire under you that says this is something that I'm supposed to get in other people's hands mm -hmm. and I need to do the work of of getting it in other people's hands and mm -hmm. whether that's performing or buying ads or whatever you have to do mm -hmm. to promote your work and I think having that uh, fire is uh, is important. I agree and that relates to another uh, question is that you know how do you balance between um, the creative practice and the promotion of the practice. And I think um, to edit myself a little, I see you have a very unique promotional style, uh, which 
seems to be more about building a community than the traditional kind of promotion. But how do you balance between those two? Yeah, you know, my feeling is that um, a person can find a balance between what they love to do and what other people love to do. So for the library of poetry, for example, you know, I had a lot of joy in creating the space, but the social media marketer has joy in taking pictures of the space and showing them to everyone, Mm -hmm. right? And so without that person working here, you know, like I would be much less inclined to do it. And, far less people would know what we do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So all that to say, I think it's so important for people to work with other people who love what they love. Mm. So if I love the writing and I love the creating and someone else loves the promotion and I can partner with them and give them some money or whatever Mm -hmm. they might want, um, then they're happy and I'm happy too. Mm -hmm. So, um, um, I'm much more uh, used to promoting events mm-hmm. and promoting classes. And so I feel like if if a person desires to become famous, mm-hmm. I think there's two ways you can do that. You can, you know, uh, you can promote your work in that country. Mm-hmm. Or you can build the country mm-hmm. and then <laughs> everyone will know you anyway because mm-hmm. they'll just keep reminding everyone that you made it and that you can promote your work within. So when I think about CLI, you know, as a, a, mm-hmm. a community of writing workshops, mm-hmm. sometimes on these videos, I'll, I'll call on a CLI nation, you know, mm-hmm. nice. and I'll be like, you know, we could just build our own community mm-hmm. and then promote ourselves within it. Yeah, I think that's, you know, it's a build it and they will come philosophy I see in you. And I think it's um, it's interesting how your um the promotion and the practice are unified in a way, like in, in the way you've chosen to do it. And and one thing I'd like to, I would ask is like, um, do you think it's, um, when you have a workshop or an event, it's easier to offer that to people because sometimes people don't see the value in the poetry, uh, but they do see the value in an education or in a gathering. Or is it harder for them to see the value in the poetry? Yeah, I think that there are a lot of people who would prefer to go to a poetry open mic than prefer to buy a book Mm -hmm. of poetry. Mm -hmm. But you know what happens? They come to the open mic and they buy a book at the end, right? You know, because they've consumed the literature Mm -hmm. in the way that they like. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. that makes them want to have it in another form. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's why I think artists should be aware of the mediums that uh, people like to consume the mm-hmm. literature in. You know, like mm-hmm. if I'm if I'm writing a news article, are more people going to read it if it's published in the L.A. Times or are more people going to read it if it's posted on 
Facebook. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, like which one will get more people to to actually consume? I get more respect with the LA Times mm-hmm. with this and the Sunday edition of the printed paper, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, this is respect, but I can get more people to read it. You know, like if it's if it's on Facebook and and you know you you boost it or pay for an ad to mm-hmm. to get it out to more people, so. And that relates to um, a question I, I, I have on my mind is where do you see your uh, down the road? Where do you see you taking your arts practice? Where do you see what, where would you like to take it outside of the day to day now, like five years from now? Where would you like to see that go? Yeah, a couple of years down the road, you know, I see myself uh, uh, promoting the work that I do, whether it's the library work, the teaching work or my own poetry, um, just proliferating it more in a digital form because that seems to be the way that people are hearing poetry, listening mm-hmm. to poetry, mm-hmm. reading poetry, you know, um, in these digital forms, whether it's on Instagram or Facebook or sometimes via email. I think it's important that if a person publishes a print book, that there's an ebook version mm-hmm. and uh, just giving people the choice to to find, connect with, and consume the writing or the lessons faster. Mm -hmm. Um, Because there are, as you know, as a teacher, there are people who prefer to be in the classroom Mm -hmm. than take it online. And there's people who prefer to take it online than be in a classroom. Mm -hmm. So I think if you're giving people the option that they want, then you increase you know, like the readership and the knowledge of mm-hmm. your of your work. So that's that's where I, I see it, you know, down the road is the library getting bigger, the classes having more chapters mm-hmm. of which there are six regional chapters right now. And, uh, you know, and my writing reaching more people. Mm-hmm. Um was there a seminal experience that shaped your development artist? Like the moment that you decided, oh, this is what I'm going to do? I want to talk about two moments. <laughs> you say one moment. I'm going to talk about two moments. Mm-hmm. One was when I took my first poetry class with David St. John mm-hmm. at USC. And he, it was the first day of class. And, you know, he told us that... Uh, if if you came to this class to get an A, I want you to take that A and you can shove it up your ass. But the purpose of this class is for you to find your own voice. Mm. And that was the first class that I've ever taken in my life mm-hmm. that was not about uh getting the best grade, the mm-hmm. highest grade, competing with everybody else in the class. It was about, neither was it a class focused on the analysis of other people's great work. Mm-hmm. This is revolutionary in college, right? right. Because you you gotta read other people's essays. You're reading other people's books and you're writing a book report, an essay about how dope their stuff is. Right. But this class is about like Mm -hmm. solely about you creating, you know, good work that wants to come out of you. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was incredible. Like it was it it was a total 180 Mm -hmm. from the way I thought about every other class. And, you know, he was the first poet I ever met. Mm -hmm. It was before that it was a hobby. 
Mm-hmm. And that was as far as it went in my mind. Right. Like, this is something you do for fun every now and then. But here's someone who had a profession, mm-hmm. like teaching this art, which I probably wouldn't have even called an art at that point, right? So he really like, and I, I became closer with him. I took another one of his classes. He mm-hmm. became a mentor of mine, mm-hmm. you know, like, but he sort of like just opened the room to Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. <laughs> it's like, you know, like this, this could, there's a life here. Like right. that's what he showed me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been in pursuit of that life ever since, mm-hmm. ever since. Uh, the second moment was, I was probably 23 or 24. Um, and an LA poet, Peter J. Harris, asked me to perform with him mm. at Art Crawl in Pasadena. And uh, Peter J. Harris is like a really profound writer, famous in L.A., Mm -hmm. you know, um, especially among, you know, the black poetry community, just been doing it for 40 years and like just famous. And um, so I had like maybe maybe twenty two dollars in my account, (laughs) which was not enough to, you know, like. it was not enough to fill up my tank all the way. So I went to the gas station and I overdrew my bank account like by $20 so I could get the gas to go to this poetry reading and read with him. And then I read with him and it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm glad they had some sandwiches in the back or I would have been hungry. But, you know, at the end of that reading, I was like, I'm a poet now. Mm. You know, like, because to me, uh, it's about what you sacrifice. Right, right, right. And to me, that's where the validity is. Mm. Like, I gave up something, you know, like to do this. And uh, and now now I'm going to call myself a poet. I'm sure it was was also reading with him. Right. This poet asked me to read with him, Mm -hmm. you know, in in a show with like maybe one other poet. Mm hmm. Um, but it was it was it was giving up something. And I feel like that's what makes someone a good parent, mm. you know, like or a good student. Like they're they've given up something mm-hmm. in exchange for what they want. Mm-hmm. And so that's that was a, an important moment for me. That's wild. The definition of a poet is someone who's willing to overdraft their account for gas. <laughs> that's going yeah. to go down in the books. That's tombstone material. Yeah. Um, and why poetry? As I see, you know, you, you're really engaged with graphic design and the books that you make, uh, the, the, the photography and photography. But why is poetry your art? You know, um, I heard Nikki, jo- Nikki Giovanni say that the genre chooses you. Mm. But I'm going to say that I've heard poetry from the age of six weeks old. Mm. You know, like at church, they were they read from Psalms at the beginning of mm. every service, right? So that was my first introduction to poetry at six weeks old. Then when I was in 12, maybe 12 or 13, my mom used to send me to 
you know, like Rite Aid or CVS to buy like lady products. And so <laughs> I used to go read the greeting cards, mm. you know, um, and the Emily Matthews greeting cards have poems in them. Mm. And I would copy those poems down on paper because I was cheap and then like give them to girls at school. And so right then I realized that poetry had a lot of power mm. to move people mm. and to speak for people when they could not speak. And I feel like that's what a greeting card does, mm. you know, because there were these poems about mourning, right. poems about birthdays, of course, poems about anniversaries. Like, so I just, I just found that, um, that poetry was sort of there the whole time, right? Mm-hmm. I'm writing and I'm reading it, but it really, it wasn't until college that I started to take it like very seriously mm-hmm. after after meeting David St. John. But mm. but I've but I've loved to write it my whole life and and read it also. You know, I was I was at USC, I was a business major mm. after one year and I was flunking out of college. Mm. And um, because I, my father told me I should study business and become rich. Mm-hmm. Um, but my counselor told me like, you better do what you love or mm. you're gonna flunk out. Mm. And I found that nice. I always loved writing. I was always good at it. And, um, and so I declared a major in English and then eventually found my way to the creative writing major mm-hmm. with, within English. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, I often say that um, poetry is for most people the the thing they look for when they feel like they can't summon their own words. So like, you know, funerals, weddings, anniversaries, like they'll suddenly remember that high school poem that E. Cummings, you know, nobody except the rain has such small hands at a wedding or, you know, I've heard that like five times at weddings, you know, they'll reach for those things that that will give the moment a significance that their that their words may not. They're reaching for that significance. So I think like the greeting cards thing is really apt. You know, it's like when people are at a loss for words, they, they reach for poetry. Yes. And and I think poets are always reaching for the words to make up for their own loss, probably, but mm. that's a whole other thing. Um so how um closing around uh towards the, the to the conclusion of our talk is um who do you see yourself as an artist? Like if, if, if someone was to pick up a, like a Hiram Sims book who didn't know you, like what would you tell them is like the, the, who are they going to meet there? Hmm. That's a great question. My hope is that like they would meet someone who who is a lover of life mm-hmm. and uh, and wants other people to love life, to value their own life and to work to create, you know, a better world around them mm-hmm. so that other people can love it. You know, um, I think I love what Ray, Bra- Ray Bradbury said, you know, like people love my books because they know I'm a lover. 
and a lover of life. And, a, and when they find my books, I want them to, to find the love of life there. Mm. And so that's what a lot of my work centers around. Even my, my first book, Photoetry, is about a love of living in South Central mm-hmm. and that love in contrast to how other people perceive it yes. when they talk about it and perhaps how some people experience it. But that's really what I want to communicate more than anything else, mm-hmm. you know, like to to love life and be grateful for it, mm-hmm. S- you know, so that so that our life is uh, engrossed in the the work of being grateful. Yeah, so the poet that comes to mind that resonates with me, and I don't know if you're. Uh, um is Mary Oliver, whose work always resonates with those gratitude and love yes. so much. And, and she's the po- a poet that has almost become a punchline amongst poets because, you know, you, you ask somebody what kind of, what, who's their favorite poet who doesn't read a lot of poetry and it's going to be Mary Oliver. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that's, I think that's not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. Wild, wild geese, right? Yeah, that's the poem. Yeah, that's then... the poem that gets everybody to r- write poetry. Woo! That's a good one. She 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 knocked it out of the park with that one. Mm-hmm. She when she said, uh, "Am I wrong? Is it on the wall here? I feel like it's on the wall." Yeah, we got it framed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And okay, it's on the Sims poetry. Um, and she says, "All you have to do is let the soft animal of your body love what it loves." Mm-hmm. You know, I was just like, "That's it. That's it." You know, just like. We all have to survive, but, you know, can you just love what you love? Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like so much of the agony of life comes from other people forcing their loves on us. Mm-hmm. For sure. You know, uh, you know, being someone who's who really enjoys going to church, I feel like that's something that some people do. Right. They just try to <laughs> they love it. But they try to force it on you, yeah. you know, like with all these consequences. They like, and I'm just like, don't do that. Like, mm-hmm. if they love it, let them love it, and if they don't, let them walk out, you mm-hmm. know. So, so I just, I just, I just find that's what I would like, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but sometimes there is some tragedies that I'm writing about yes. in my work and uh, some other experiences and themes of life but it but if i could choose who they encounter it would be encountering someone who's who's grateful Hmm. then last question i know you probably pondered this more than anybody i've spoken to is i think like i call this like the real quick question you know what would be your message to to the young artist today yeah uh my my young my message to the young writer is to uh, read, write, and read. Mm-hmm. And so the first read is about reading the work of other writers mm-hmm. because there's a lot of, there's inspiration there, there's, a, there's experience there, there's lessons there, there are forms there mm-hmm. that we might want to write in ourselves Mm -hmm. and i feel like when the writer continues to read Mm -hmm. there are you get some variety you know you get variety in what you create because otherwise it is possible for a writer to create the same version of something over and over and over and over and over again Mm -hmm. 
So, so I think, so that's the first read. The second uh, word is write, and that's to make room for your writing, express what you want to express, and to not be afraid of writing something you're unhappy with initially. Mm-hmm. You know, like just see if you can get it out mm-hmm. and then it can be reshaped mm-hmm. you know later on and the last read is about reading your work to other people mm-hmm. at open mics on stages you know because there's so much opportunity that comes mm. when other people read your work and then um, people will come back to you to tell you what resonated with them, Mm -hmm. you know, like how it connected with them. Occasionally people tell you what they didn't like, you know, and if they, if they phrase it in such a way, you could actually use it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, Hiram, I love your poetry, but you need to learn how to use a period. And so I'm like, you know, I might be insulted for that first hour, but then I'm like, you know what? Let me, uh, let me brush up on my period, you know, rules. So I just think that um, those three are important to read, to write, and then to read. Mm. Because to me, once you share it, you know, like you've entered the work of finding the people who can benefit from, mm-hmm. from, from your work. I think it's, it took me a while before I even acknowledged, acknowledged that my writing is work. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we talk, we say that when we talk about other people's work, right? We're like the work of Robert Frost, the work, right? Mm-hmm. But sometimes it was, it was hard for me to say this is work, right? but it's definitely a labor. Right. You know, and I think that that in acknowledging the work that we want to um, honor the work and honor the part of us that wants to create the work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not so easy to do all the time, but you found a way to do it. Hiram, thanks so much for joining me for this conversation. I've always uh, learned something through every time I speak with you, and this is no exception. So thanks for joining me. All right. Thank you. Thank you.